Hi, it's Leslie Jane Seymour, and welcome to CoveyCast. So glad to have you all here. Today's a really special day because I get to bring you the story of two very good friends who are launching their own business called Skura, S-K-U-R-A, style.com. And it is a new cleaning product, of course, made by two women. And what's so wonderful about it is that one of the partners is my old publisher from Moore Magazine. And she was actually inspired by all the stories she read in our second act's column to become a second act herself. So it's a wonderful story and they give such great tips. They also, she and Linda Sawyer happen to be old childhood friends. So it's a story about working together in a new enterprise and they've done just a great job of attacking one of the most disgusting items in your kitchen that you haven't even thought about and making it stylish and clean and beautiful and something you're gonna be proud of. Anyway, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Linda and Allison. I think you're gonna love all their tips about what it's like to be a woman of a certain age, now launching into being entrepreneurs and going for something that probably not too many men would have discovered needed reinventing. I want to welcome Allison Matz and Linda Sawyer here uh, for this Covey cast today. I'm really excited about this. Number one, because they both live in my hometown, which is really a great starter. And then the other part that's really fantastic is Allison was my publisher at Moore for a period of time. And she's just a lovely person, incredibly smart, incredibly accomplished. And to say a lovely person in my kind of business um, is, is a big thing because not everybody's so lovely, lovely in publishing. Anyway, she and Linda Sawyer, who uh, is a big, big, you know, what do we want to call it? Main lady at Deutsch um, advertising agency was the chairman of Deutsch and has moved on. Um, have become co-founders of Skura Style. Am I pronouncing that right, ladies? That's correct. Yes, you are. And it is a whole new way to look at cleaning. I am a cleaning freak, obviously. There are days when I think the only way to get rid of my anxiety is to take out my toothbrush and work on the grout in the kitchen. And um, they've just created a really beautiful product, and I'm so proud of them because they're way ahead of me. They've been working on this for a while and they are, have reinvented themselves. Both one coming out of that, well, both coming out of advertising actually. And so I'm so in awe of what they've done and you have to go and see their website and see what they're doing. And I wanna welcome both of them here uh, to CoveyCast. And so, hello ladies. Hi there. Hi Leslie. <laughs> so, Let's start by in having each one of you introduce yourselves and talk just quickly about your history in your previous businesses. So Allison, so since we're both refugees from publishing, <laughs> let's talk let's talk a little bit about your reinvention since this is all about reinvention. Um, just give me a little history so our viewers know where you came from and all the great places that you were in publishing. Um, and then we'll move on to Linda after that. So, Allison? Yeah, so I spent most of my adult life working in the magazine business, which I absolutely love for most of it, and worked my way through the ranks on the ad sales side and eventually um, came to be publisher of many consumer magazine titles. Um, my last publisher role was at more with beloved Leslie Jane Seymour. And, um, but I worked at Glamour and House and Garden and Self Magazine and Brides and Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, a whole bunch of places. And, um, you know, when I actually was at Moore, one of my favorite regular columns in the magazine was the Second Acts column. And I would read yes. about these amazing women who were doing amazing things and kept dreaming of my turn. Um, of what I was going to do next. And, um, you know, so it was really an inspiration for me as I started to think about what my second act was going to be. But, you know, in the role as a magazine publisher, I interfaced with so many consumer 
brands. Um, most of the time I was involved with fashion and beauty brands, but you know, also had some experience with a lot of startup brands, disruptor brands, um, people that were coming out with things that were, you know, solving personal problems or, you know, where they had identified things that they thought were wrong with the existing offers in the marketplace. And I was always kind of inspired and had always dreamt of one day doing my own thing. And, um, you know, this, the story of Skirt Style, um, you know, was really started with an obsession that Linda has, which she'll tell you about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've been actually best friends since second grade. And since have second always grade, had I love it. So it's a reinvention story about two best friends. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And awesome. we've had these parallel lives in many ways. And, you know, uh, you know, both had these, you know, you know, big careers and, you know, you know, had, you know, we have families and, you know, our kids are now kind of grown and flown, but it, it's, um, you know, we've always kind of had this relationship and inspired each other to kind of take this next step. Right. Awesome. All right, Linda, talk a little bit about your past history. I mean, what a so, history. Incredible. Um, yeah. Well, I spent my whole career in advertising, um, about 33 years and, um, the beginning of my career, which was about seven years, I spent at a variety of very large advertising agencies. And then about 28 years ago, um, I ended up joining Deutsch, which at the time was a tiny agency of 40 people. And many people thought I was crazy to go to such a little agency that was fairly unknown. But I just had a you know really good gut about it and thought it was an opportunity to really be part of shaping something. And, um, and I ended up being there for 27 years, which was quite unheard of in the advertising industry and grew the place and was part of that growth of to, you know, over a thousand people. And, um, about 12 years ago, I became CEO. So I was CEO for 10 years and, um, CEO at a time when there were very, very few women in the industry at that kind of role. And then, um, I spent my last two years as chairman and left at the end of last year. And I had, I like Allison, I loved what I did, um, loved the people at Deutsch. It was like a second family and um, really had this incredible run and could have kept doing it. But I just always knew that there was a next chapter for me. And, and, and it really was one that I had to explore this entrepreneurial itch that I had. And the idea that instead of sort of developing marketing communications and programs for our clients and sort of inheriting all of their decisions, I thought it would be so exciting from ground up to really develop something from scratch and have all this control in making hopefully all the right business decisions. So as Allison said, um, I always have had a real passion for home and design. And on top of that, I'm definitely obsessed with cleaning. And um, <laughs> okay. And I, you know, and I sort of combined those passions and, and it all started with a very, very simple insight, which was, you know, um, we all have these beautiful kitchens and, you know, and, and kitchen design has really been democratized and every little inch of the kitchen has experienced design innovation from paper towel holders to, you know, um, even garbage cans can be pretty. And mm -hmm. I kept being puzzled by the fact that front and center was this object of disgust and it looked ugly and it smells and it's, it's just a hideous thing. Yet I, ironically, all these people have it. And I sort of brought that insight to Allison and I said, you know, what do you think? And, and when I told her about it, she was like, we have to like explore how it, you're right. Like I never even thought about it. And so that began our Say journey. Say what it is, Linda, because people don't know yet. <laughs> and they're saying, oh, my God, what is this smelly, <laughs> disgusting thing in my kitchen that I don't really realize I have? Right. So what it is, is the kitchen sponge. And it is just amazing how many people, when we've you know, told them the story and initially like, let them try to guess what it is, again, it's front and center, yet they don't even think about it because it's sort of this like unconscious, unmet need because there really aren't a lot of choices. And so right. here, when we're all so particular about the kinds of products we use, the brands that we interact with, there's this thing that everyone hates, but yet 
we live with it. And so we said, we're going to challenge convention and take it on. And it took a long time because there were a lot of hurdles, but we ended up coming up with something that not only looks beautiful, but it performs so much better and it's so much easier to buy and replace. So talk a little bit about, first of all, how did you get the name? Am I saying it right? Skura? Skura style. Yes. So the name, um, Skura, S-K-U-R-A, and our website is skurastyle.com. The word Skura is Swedish for to scour or to scrub. And ah, okay, origin, that explains it. Okay. Yeah. And the origin is that we, um, when we set out to design a, a beautiful sponge, we enlisted uh, the help of a renowned uh, product designer. His name is John Michael Ekeblad. He is a Swede. He's got a great pedigree. He spent 15 some odd years in global design for Ikea and worked on many projects from Rubbermaid and now has his own design studio. And he... One, we love Scandinavian design. It is clean, it's fresh, it's happy, it's simple, it's, um, you know, has wide appeal. Um, we also were very inspired by John Michael himself. He's just got this sunny, quirky personality and, you know, really his personality had, had is really infused in, in the product. So we took inspiration from John Michael and came up with the name Skura Style, which, you know, we love the sound of the word. It's descriptive of what the product does. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of inspired, you know, everything from our, you know, website design um, and, you know, again, Scandinavian design really lends itself to a product that's designed for cleaning. Is anybody Scandinavian there, you guys? No? Or you just like the style? Well, no, we're, we're not Swedes or Scandinavian, yeah. but John Michael, our designer, yeah. is, yeah. Um, you know, born and bred. And, uh, and I also... Um, you know, yeah. for the many years I worked at Deutsch, we worked for at least um, 15, 20 years with Ikea as a client. So uh, I spent okay. an enormous amount of time and was very, I always joke that I had, because I spent so much time with them, blue and yellow in my blood. And so I very much, um, you know, have had, a, you know, a, a long, long-term relationship with Ikea. So, yeah. But we're a bunch of New and Yorkers. Nobody, <laughs> go ahead. And nobody else had attacked the sponge before you guys? You know, there have been attempts, you know, up on the design side. We always joke, and, you know, I think, Leslie, you can relate. We, we would see some attempts coming out of the leading um, manufacturer and brand in the marketplace where we would say, oh, they had a meeting. And <laughs> there, there was, okay. um, you know, there were some, there's some entries in the market that, attempted to deliver a sponge that had some design to it, but the execution in our opinion falls short. And then there's the, there's the material issue. Um, most of the sponges in the marketplace today are made of cellulose and there are a laundry list of inherent negatives associated with cellulose, particularly when you're using it for a cleaning product. So we not only attacked the, the design element, but we also attacked the material to deliver something that was far more efficacious on so many levels. And then there are other, um, there have been some other recent entries into the marketplace in the scouring, mostly in the scouring side of the business that have been incredibly successful, which show that there is an, an appetite amongst consumers for innovation and newness. And so talk about the drawbacks of cellulose versus what you guys are doing. What's better? So cellulose, um, the inherent negatives of cellulose is that they're really bacteria magnets. And because you're using it in your kitchen and it's coming um, in contact with so much different food, food type of items, and it stays very wet and moist, which yes. kind of increases the breeding ground for bacteria, I mean, that is literally why a sponge smells. I mean, you are, what the minute it starts smelling is means there's a lot of bacteria in there. And the other really disgusting thing is that when you are, you, once you start using cellulose and it starts, you know, developing bacteria, when you're wiping a sponge on a counter, you are actually wiping bacteria all over your counter. So, mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is most um, cellulose sponges have, 
a non-woven fiber glued to it, which is how, um, you know, the scrubbing part. And I'm sure you've experienced this where food gets trapped in it and then it shreds. And so again, like food is kind of food particles are getting stuck in there. So you're mm -hmm. washing with old food. So it's, it's the whole combination mm -hmm. is pretty foul. And again, amazingly, <laughs> you sort of scratch the surface and you ask most consumers, how do you feel about your sponge? And there is total <laughs> Did you actually go out there and ask them, how do you feel about your sponge? And did they have an opinion? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's like you, people, people aren't talking. Look, you're, you know, nobody's talking about sponges. But when you, when you bring it, the subject up, it's like you've unleashed this hate affair that people have, but, but it's like, we've all been complacent and accepted it. Like, Oh, this is what they are. And this is what I buy. And it, you know, it's, it's, you know, almost like that kind of me too thing that we, you know, we all accepted, you know, that, okay, this is behavior that we have to yeah. accept with in our lives. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, there's been this, yeah, I, you know, I accepted that, you know, I was going to be abused by my sponge. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we've all been for decades deprived of a good sponge and like, just live with it. And it's just, um, you know, it's one of those things. So we said, you know, there's no reason that this category can't be disrupted. Mm -hmm. And so why did you start with a sponge? Why? I mean, if you were going to get into cleaning, there were probably other entry points. Was there, I mean, was it just you guys both thought, how disgusting is my sponge? Well, you know, it was Linda who had the insight, who, you know, said, I've always wondered why my sponge is so ugly. And I thought I never thought about it. <laughs> okay. But, you know, and then when we tried to make a pretty sponge, we realized that we couldn't really make a pretty sponge on traditional sponge materials, the cellulose and the non-woven fiber. So we found this superior material that, you know, was a better canvas for design and color and, and better efficacy. But the sponge, you know, was really where we saw that there was a huge void in the marketplace. I mean, there's, you know, there's great cleaning products that, you know, come in beautiful packages that smell good. There's, you know, it was really where we saw that, uh, you know, as, as marketers and, you know, advertising people and we said, you know, where, where's the void? Where's the opening? Um, we do have plans to expand beyond sponges and really uh, enhance the whole experience around the kitchen sink. And mm -hmm. we have designs um, for, you know, several other product categories, but this was, you know, this is the foundation the cornerstone. of our business. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, well, you already know. So where can people, let's start with you. You've got a subscription service and you've got um, a design that is really very pretty. Everybody needs to go look at it on your site. Your, first of all, your site is gorgeous. It's clean. It's beautiful. It it really is. It's charming. It's just it's charming for a sponge site. It's actually something that is really <laughs> yes, very pretty. Unexpected, and I think. <laughs> unexpected. Yes, and definitely my listeners should go look because they'll be they'll be very pleased to see it. Um, but talk a little bit about, you know, why you decided to do it as a subscription, where people can get it, how they can get it, and what the use factors are, what you were thinking about with that. Yes. So, you know, going back to what I said earlier, what I think is um, really exciting is that every single thing we've done is really consumer-centric. And um, when we did research, we found out an interesting thing in terms of sponges beyond the fact that they hated them and found them disgusting. Consumers um, talked about replacement in two ways. Um, there were a small group of people that are so disgusted by their sponges that are literally throwing out their sponges every day or two. But oh, actually, really? Yeah. But the vast majority on the other end of the continuum actually acknowledge their complacency. And they do so in almost like an apologetic, embarrassed way. Like, oh my God, I have to admit, sometimes I keep my sponge up right. to a month. And they, they, oh, they're reticent about it. How about six months, girlfriend? What? I don't want to shame myself here in public, but <laughs> I mean, I've, you know, I, I only throw it out when it's really disgusting. 
Right. Yeah. Well, you're, you're among friends. And so, um, <laughs> and if you look at, there's, you know, some, a lot of research out there from like leading microbiologists in this country. And there was in fact, a lot of press a few months ago from a study that came out of Germany. You really, if you use your sponge every day with frequency, you should really be throwing it out weekly. And if you're using it a little more occasionally every two weeks, but it is like by a month, that is not a pretty situation. There's so much bacteria on that sponge. So um, we decided to like lean right into that and said, what could we do to make it sort of foolproof and easy for consumers to not only buy, but also replace their sponge. So they don't even have to think about it. So what we did was with our logo, we have a sort of design element to our logo and we use that as the basis of a monogram that is on the scouring surface of the sponge. And yeah, it actually very pretty. Fades, it fades with use. So if you're using your sponge oh, every day, by okay. the end of the week, That's cool. yeah, it will be faded and we also send you because it's a subscription and we have your email, a cleaning tip and a reminder that it's time to toss it. So it just becomes super easy. And it's amazing because people were like, if I don't have to think about it and I could just get my bag once a month or every other month, depending on my usage and know to throw it out. Plus the other thing is it's so pretty that it's really nice to have like every week, a new fresh sponge and they never smell ever, ever, ever. So is that you know, because of the the fabric it's made from, or is that because you're tossing it fast? Um, it's the re the main reason it doesn't smell is we have it's both the foam and the scouring surface are treated with an, an antimicrobial agent, which inhibits the growth of odor causing mold, mildew, and bacteria. So that's why it doesn't smell. As a material, polyurethane foam is definitely better than cellulose because it doesn't have the same properties where it won't get the level of bacteria as quickly, but it will definitely, you know, it needs to be thrown out as well. So, and then on top of that, you know, to what you just asked, the, um, the whole replacement thing contributes to having what we call good sponge etiquette. And so we're really trying to be educational. <laughs> okay. I like that. Okay. To change behavior, but you know, to what, and, and you know, it's funny, people in intuitively get it. It's just, they don't do it. So again, it's sort of like, we've lived with this horrible sponge for decades. <laughs> and then on top of that, we like, don't replace it often enough. And we we're so discriminating on our own health in terms of the kind of things we will eat, the kinds of skincare products we'll use. And yet this is something that's, you know, you're using every day, to have a good cleaning environment, but it's an inherently disgusting, dirty tool. So we're gonna have to have a whole hashtag and a whole um, Twitter feed for sponge shaming now? You know, it's funny. Uh, a friend of mine actually, um, she has this beautiful um, weekend house at, at a lake, and she, over the summer she reached out to me, we hadn't launched yet, and she's like, Allison, I've been sponge shamed. She said, I had friends from <laughs> weekend. And they said, you know, we love coming to your house and it's fabulous, but like your sponge is disgusting. And <laughs> she yeah, was literally a good house gift, customer. Right? <laughs> so it, yes, so, so we order online. Is it available in stores anywhere? No, um, we are um, e-commerce only, subscription only for, for a couple of reasons. One is um, there is a real monopoly in the marketplace. And um, the you know market leader really kind of co um, commands and monopolizes a lot of the space at retail, and we you know were advised that it would be you know very challenging to get retail distribution. And you know we also took cues from a lot of companies that have um, disrupted. Um, leaders, you know, the Dollar Shave and Harry Shaves and mm -hmm. the tampons and, you know, what Warby Parker did way back in terms of disrupting mm -hmm. the eyewear industry, but, you know, to go direct to consumer and, um, you know, cut up the middleman, make it easy for consumers to buy. Um, and also more and more, you know, consumers are increasingly, you know, utilizing e-commerce for a majority of their purchases. Um, the subscription approach, as Linda said, is to sort of make that um, adoption of, you know, new 
behavior, that sponge etiquette, that frequent replacement, really easy. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that was the approach there. So it right now is available only at, you know, scurrystyle.com. And what does it cost me? So we sell it as a four pack and a four pack costs $12. And we have two plans. One we call love to scrub. The other we call live to scrub and love to scrub is. <laughs> oh my God. For all the OCD women out there and men, I'm sure there are some. Okay. Live to yeah. scrub. Okay. Or the, or the aspiring cleaners. <laughs> yes. So the love to scrub is um, $12 um, of every other month. So you get a four pack every other month. And we consider that to be for the occasional scrubber where, you know, you maybe don't have a, you know, a full house, you know, a lot of folks in your house or you eat out a lot or whatever it is. And so you basically are kind of going through a sponge every other week or every two weeks. And then the live to scrub is $12 a month. And it's, you know, basically we're, we're, you know, a new sponge every week. And, you know, so it's, you know, $12 a week. I mean, that's like, you know, two a a month. I'm sorry. Like, you know, you know, a couple of, you know, cappuccinos. (laughs) Right. I know the whole coffee thing is amazing, isn't it? When you compare the cost of valuable help to coffee, somehow people put it in a separate category. They want their, I I look at those coffee cups as baby bottles. Everybody's (laughs) got to have their baby bottle in the morning. So they, they don't think about it. You know, it's like, Oh, four and a half bucks on a coffee. No problem. Oh, wait a minute. Cleaning my house. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. That's great. So, Tell me what you think two women have brought to this topic that men would have missed. And and what maybe a lot of um, listeners don't understand is an awful lot of women's products have been dominated by men making them in the past. I mean, magazines are all at the top men. Um, fashion is largely at the top men. So what do you guys bring to it that you think is unique or might have a special female point of view? Or maybe it's nothing. Yeah, no, you know, listen, I, I've always been a big believer that, you know, you you can be a man and, and be very inspired about the way that you bring to market a product to a woman or to, um, you know, actually conceive the whole thing. But I, I think the it's, I, you know, the gender thing certainly plays into it, but I think it comes more from a place of passion. And the fact that, um this really did start as a very personal thing where I do have such a passion for home and design. I also have a passion for cleaning. And like you seem to indicate, I enjoy cleaning because it, it just gives me a state of mental well-being and I feel like it gives me order and peace. And it's like, I, I can like sort of almost, it's like my form of meditation in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think that coming from that position of, you know, the point of passion was that the bar became very high for everything about this product. You know, we said, let, let's like defy logic on every level of what people, like it's really reimagining what the sponge could be. And so that was starting with, let's make this thing beautiful, which is unheard of. Let's make the materials more efficacious, which took, which took tremendous amount of research and a journey because it wasn't so easy to find those materials let's reconceive the whole buying and purchasing process and let's make everything about this an an inspired experience and thinking about it as something people will actually enjoy doing something that's going to give a little dose of happiness at their kitchen sink and i think a lot of these big companies you know and certainly the big competitor out there they're selling a product, it's a commodity. They're not really thinking about it from the user's experience. They're just pushing masses amount of product through. So I, I think that, you know, is hopefully going to become a really big strategic advantage for the success of this brand. Mm-hmm. So you guys will be the sponge babes. Yeah, okay. queens, sponge <laughs> queens, <Okay>. moguls. <laughs> what are you calling it? Sponge moguls. <laughs> Okay, I like that. What about being older women? Do you find that there's an advantage in any way or was there a disadvantage? You guys raised money, right? So, and a lot of people say as a woman, it's very, very hard. I think we get 2% of funding from VCs. It's a very, very, very low number. Um, How did you guys find? Yeah, so, you know, we, 
you know, I think being, as you called us, older, <laughs> um, I like it's to say- It's a good thing. I'm proud of it. I hope you are too. I, I am, I'm very proud of my age also, actually, and I embrace it. And, you know, I think part of it is our experience and the vast networks that we've built over the years through our, you know, business and, you know, business slash friend networks gave us um, a wide range um, and a, a big runway to, to find money. And, you know, when, you know, our investors obviously, you know, believed in the concept, believed in the product, believed in the premise, but also were investing in us and, and our experience. And, um, you know, I mean, I, Linda's really humble about it, but I will say, you know, there were some investors who, without even knowing what we were doing, said, I don't care what it is, Linda, whatever you're doing, I want in. And then she said, well, please let me show you first. <laughs> and, you know, so um, you know, that was a pretty awesome. incredible um, experience. And, but it, it's, you know, I would say that, you know, we have really a leg up. Um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be not as experienced as we are, but it has enabled us to really figure things out that I, I can't imagine sometimes people with less business experience doing something like this. You know, we've just been, you know, the, the networks and finding people to, to, to teach us and help us in areas where we, we didn't have any experience. And, uh, you know, I, I think in, in many ways gave us, you know, a lot of shortcuts to, to figure out how to, to run an e-com business and launch a, a brand and, in a category we really had yeah, no Yeah, we didn't experience. know anything about the sponge business, my God. And <laughs> now we're experts. Yes. So what about the biggest stumbling blocks? Have well, What was the hardest thing and a most unexpected thing that you ran into never having been entrepreneurs before? I mean, I, I think the <clears throat> for us it was more about that um, a being able to actually identify a material because that was not our expertise. And, you know, when we finally really, you know, studied the market and understood that basically, you know, there is a monopoly out there and they dominate the market in terms of materials and shelf space, we were like, Oh, that's why it hasn't been done. Like mm -hmm. there, there have been other products that are definitively better and more superior, but have not been able to penetrate the marketplace in this country. So, you know, that was a huge stumbling block. And, you know, I think because in a, a lot of ways we didn't know what we didn't know, like if I knew as much as I know mm -hmm. about advertising, I might have said, I don't think it can be done, but mm -hmm. we kept going because we didn't know what we didn't know. And we were so committed to figuring this out that we ended up, you know, flying around the country and home shows and looking at materials. And we ended up finally, but it took years finding a material that is so outstanding. So that was a big thing. And then, you know, our standards in a way, like <clears throat> everything that Allison said is correct in terms of what gives us a leg up, but it's also everything she said that not that doesn't give us a leg up, but makes our own sort of standards extremely high. Like sometimes I say to Allison, I wish we didn't know everything we knew because mm -hmm. we approach it like as if we're a big company already. And like, we have mm -hmm. like, a, like a checklist that a, a start, a typical startup who people without experience wouldn't even know to have that on their right. checklist. So right, you have standards, you have standards that probably are not there when you're starting out with no previous business exactly. experience. So it creates a pretty tall order for us. And when you're a startup, you don't have obviously the resources that we both were accustomed to. So that may, that's a, that's a challenging thing. So I, I think those have been the most challenging things mm -hmm. for us and not having my biggest. Yeah. I mean, did yeah. you, did yeah, you yeah, find you look, you're looking for the IT person to help yeah, you with exactly. things and there's nobody there? It's Allison. Yeah, can you believe that one, Leslie? Are you the <laughs> IT person? Oh my God, I'm gonna call you when I have trouble. I had no idea. <laughs> it's a scary thought, um, and my kids are can't believe that because they're always telling me to step away from the computer because they can't believe, you know, it's all relative in terms of skill level. That's hilarious. <laughs> now. Now talk just a little bit about, because there are people who today are thinking, and, and you and I have talked about this about, and since I'm up there getting my degree in sustainability, 
what are you guys thinking about? I know that you've looked into it, mm -hmm. you know, when, when we're disposing more and more of these items, you were yeah. thinking about this might go into other, uh, other kinds of areas to be disposed of. Yeah. So, you know, again, this kind of goes along with Linda's comment about tall otter. Like we want everything to be perfect almost. And, you know, and, it, and it's, it's challenging. And so, you know, we're, we're thrilled that, you know, we're manufacturing our product in the U S that is something that was really ah, wonderful. Okay. Um, when, you know, and we wanted them, you know, we wanted this product to be beautiful and to work better than anything else in the market. And when we looked, you know, for the materials, we, you know, we, we had hoped to be able to find something that was, you know, eco-friendly and, and that was a challenge. And but we felt that efficacy and, and design was, you know, the, the first order of business. So the, um, you know, the material is, um, not biodegradable and that bothers us. And, um, you know, but we are looking into ways that we can, you know, truly take, you know, stewardship of the product and look at aftermarket use, you know, a place, you know, where we can send retired sponges and retired put them to some sponges. other, Okay, you know, I like that. Treats. That's good. So, you know, and again, it, it is, um, you know, those sorts of, and we, we haven't, quite nailed that yet but you know again we don't take no for an answer easily we are relentless when we set out to accomplish something and you know it it will be you know a challenge for us to figure that out and to to do a project like that on a shoestring startup budget but we're we're working right. on it and Good. um again through our our networks and you know obviously you know you included have you know found the right people to talk to to help guide us on this Great, good. Those are all good, important things. Um, now, just what I like to do with everybody um, is to leave my listeners um, with, you know, two or three tips um, that they can actually take and use um, toward their own reinventions. And so, is and is is there anything? Is there any challenge before we get to that um, about working with your best friend? Did you discover? anything that you didn't know when you went into business? Cause sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you can have friends who are friends. And when you try to go into business, you're horrified. So did, was there any surprise in terms of you guys thought exactly alike, or you had other kinds of talents the other one didn't know about? What do you think makes it work in case anybody out there is thinking I've got a best friend or a good friend, I want to work with them? Well, you know, I think, um, you're absolutely right. It doesn't always work. And, um, and that is something that, you know, you, you almost don't know until you do it because there's, you know, it's just, it's very different talking about doing something than doing it. But, yes. um, I think, uh, the one indicator that gave us confidence that it would work is that throughout our careers, even though we did, you know, pretty different things, we would talk a lot about business and, we, we tended to a share a lot of the same values as far as the way we approached, um, our, our companies, our business ethics, our sort of philosophy around our employees and the kind of managers we were. So we had a lot of good indicators that our sort of values and philosophy were aligned. And I think also, you know, we are both pretty no nonsense people. And so when we work, we really work. Like we are very productive, very efficient, and it's, it's not emotional. And I think that's even, you know, we, we're just very, we're at the task and we get it done. So I think, um, you know, it's surprise wise. I don't really, I, I'm surprised by Allison's IT skills, but beyond that, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, uh, no, I think it's been, you know, it's an, our product, our product productivity level is a bit insane. I mean, what we have done in a matter of months would take, a, would have been a company for two, three years. So oh, we feel incredible. really good about it. Any tips though, specifically guys for people like a do's and don'ts in terms of overall reinventing yourself and then any specific parts about that, what to look for if you want to go into business with a friend, because I know a lot of people are dying to do that. And I know a lot of times it doesn't work out. So like, how do you know? Well, like, you know, we, I right think friend you know, we a little bit of a, a, 
test, you know, period. We, before we officially launched, we had been working on this for quite some time and we used to get together almost every Sunday and we call them Scura Sundays. And it's when we you know, <laughs> okay. did, you know, all of our thinking and, you know, it was, you know, to, to and we did it, you know, you know, even, you know, our kids were, you know, we still had some, you know, kids at home and, you know, you take your precious, you know, part of your weekend and do that and spend working on something else is, you know, I think a real testament to the fact that we could spend time together um, working and, uh, you know, but I think in terms of advice is, you know, just know that, it, you know, it's not always going to work and, and uh, you know, go with your gut on it, I think. And, 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 you know, it has to be about, you know, respect in the same way that you would anyone that you have a, you know, a, a working relationship with. You have to be able to, uh, you know, agree, disagree when necessary and challenge each other. Uh, you know, we've really, I think, had that a good opportunity to, to push each other and, uh, you know, to really kind of riff and figure this whole thing out together. And I know for me, I could never have done this alone. Yeah. You know, I, here. you know, and I know Leslie, we've talked about this. It's, you know, that's, I have like great admiration for anyone who's, who's going something by themselves. I mean, that to me seems impossible. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I wish I could find the right business partner. I'm yeah. still looking, yeah. but it's hard. It's very hard. No, even listen, when I, you know, was running Deutsch, I would always say it's, it's lonely at the top, you know, it, it can is, be lonely yes. at the top, but being an entrepreneur and being alone, I mean, at least in a corporation, you have all these resources and, you know, bench strength surrounding you. Um, but as far as um, advice in terms of reinvention, I, you know, had a lot of conversations with people ever since I, you know, finally disclosed what I was doing. And, you know, people were sort of amazed when I left, like, wow, you know, you're leaving such an amazing job, you know, and I, what I tell people is that, you know, th start with the things, A, that you're really, really passionate about, but B, you know, what the, the genesis of this idea was so simple. It was like this simple pain point I was living with every day. And I tell people like, think about what you're passionate about and try to almost step back and audit your everyday life, you know, and it's, and you really have to think about it because there are so many tiny things we all live with that just a little adjustment would make things so much better. But if it doesn't exist and you can sort of get away with like working, you, you have like a million workarounds, but think about what those things could be. And especially after the intersects with things that you deeply care about or you're passionate about, it's like, it, it's really the little stuff. Like you don't have to be inventing some major new technology. You know, it, it can be something that's like sitting right in front of you and it usually is. And, and those are the most disruptive things actually, because if you can come up with something that actually people do intersect with every day, those are the products people are really buying and, and you know, and impact their life every day. Right. Yeah. I also think, what? you know, it, it's, um, I, I used to say, back when, you know, the magazine business was wonderful and amazing that, you know, yes, it's my job and my career, but it's also my hobby. And, and that's what this is for, for me now. It's, I, I can't imagine doing anything else with my day. I absolutely love what I'm doing. And trust me, we have frustrations and days where we want to tear our hair out, but it's really, really fun. And that, I think is important, particularly when you're, you know, at this stage of, of life and career, it's like, you know, you want every, you know, you want to be having a good time that, that, and that will make right. you more successful and productive. So just in closing, how did you both, cause you were both employed before you decided to do this and leap out and become entrepreneurs and you were both gainfully employed and you both have families. How did you decide that it was worth the risk? Cause I think a lot of people say, Oh, I would, if I could, um, you know, I have this great idea. They don't do anything with it because they're afraid. They're afraid financially. They're afraid of, you know, having been very successful in one area and then they leap over and they're going to be a failure in the other area. What made you guys finally, you know, leap that gorge that a lot of people don't? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I think it was the fact that I felt like if I didn't do it now, it would never happen. And I watched 
other people, you know, I was a fairly young CEO and chairman, relatively speaking, but I would see other people who had a similar path in, you know, my business that were still around for 10, 15 years later, and they didn't seem so stimulated anymore. And I figured, you know, I guess I had enough confidence in myself that A, I hope this this chapter is going to be a real success. But, you know, I, I have always been this way. Like, I feel like if it's not, I will have learned so much from it and I will absolutely be able to find the next thing. Mm-hmm. So I think this is... Um, Yes, it's a risk for sure, and it was a, it's a risk leaving a really big job, but um, I feel you know just extremely bullish about it. And sometimes you just have to jump in the deep end, and it's never going to happen any other way. Yeah, and for me, yeah, you know, absolutely, you know, very scary, and but it was really too scary not to do it. You know, that that was um, sort of for me the decision, and. You know, I always say that, you know, no company would probably have hired me to do the job I'm doing now. You know, nobody was going to, you know, hire me to run a, you know, a cleaning product brand and an e-commerce company. You know, I had no experience doing <laughs> right. it. Um, but I hired myself to do it. And, you know, I think I'm doing a good job of it. And, it, you know, look, we have, we obviously are doing because we believe in you know, believe in this and believe it's going to be successful. But, you know, if it's not, then somebody will hire me to do something that I would have never been hired to do before. So, you know, and again, it was, you know, there are moments I wake up in the middle of the night and like, holy crap, like, what am I doing? But, uh, you know, it, it again, the, the fear of not doing it was far greater than the fear of doing it. And how do you guys adjust to the which is different than when you're like 25, you have nothing to lose. You've never put any points on the board. No one looks at you. They don't know who you are. You're both very, very successful in your previous areas. How do you, and I think this is what holds some women back, which is, oh my God, I'm all the way up at this level. Why risk failure now? Do you know what I mean? I've been so lucky or careful or, or you know, I have so much gratitude for where I am now. How do you deal with that? What if? What if I fall flat on my face? Do you care? You know, I, it's it's funny because in a way, I already think we've been successful. You know, I um, am so proud of. First of all, we have an amazing product. I mean, this product, you can literally the minute someone buys it, the the gushing of, I never thought I would say the word love in the same sentence as a sponge. Oh, that's so funny. Um, oh, it's great. You know what you need to do? You have to have a Twitter. You have to have a Twitter handle. Do you have a Twitter handle for the sponges? Do you have a sponge, like the, you know, the sponges themselves have to have a Twitter handle and have a life. Oh, interesting. You know what I so, mean? The yeah, way they yeah. take but people's hair, haircuts and make them, they have their own Twitter handle. Because if people really love it that much, that's kind of fun. Yeah, but no, so I guess um, I feel like we have achieved already um, a measure of success and based on the kind of press we're getting and the feedback, I mean, we were just featured in House Beautiful Best of 2018. I mean, we're a sponge, you know, so (laughs) it's like, it's pretty incredible what we've achieved already. And this is just the beginning. So A, I feel like we've been successful and B, I if for some reason this doesn't go where we fully expect it will, um, as Allison said, I feel like I just earned a degree in a whole different thing because for all the years I ran a very big company and helped grow it, this is so different and I've used so many different muscles and learned so much that I have like exponentially expanded my um, business prowess for sure. So I, I don't... I really don't worry about it. I feel like, you know, this was already worth it. Great. All right, ladies, I want to say thank you so much for your time. And we so appreciate you taking the time for the Covey cast. And I'm so rocking in with you. And I want everybody to go to skurastyle.com, S-K-U-R-A style.com. Go see those fabulous sponges. And decorate your house with them. Who would think you'd be decorating your house with a sponge? But what a great idea. 
and don't get sponge shamed out there. We're gonna send the sponge police to check everybody's kitchens later on and make sure that you are living up to your own personal style. So thank you ladies, I'm so glad to have you and I'm so proud of all of you and I'm really proud that my former publisher, Allison Matz, is doing this wonderful thing that we both talked about so much at Moore Magazine and now she's one of those great inventors. So thanks ladies. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here at the Covey cast. And I hope you enjoyed this Linda and Allison. I hope that you will go check out their fabulous Skura sponges. I'm so proud of them, and I hope you got some great tips that you can take with you about starting a business with a good friend or about starting a business that you really think is worth leaving your top job for. And as you listen to these ladies speak, you will see that, and you hear heard that, you've, it's still a learning experience. Even if it's not the next Google, it's okay. And I hope that if you like the CoveyCast, you will pass us along to friends. And I hope you will find us inspirational. And if you have any questions or thoughts on how we can make CoveyCast better for you, I hope you'll email me, L-E-S-L-E-Y at CoveyClub.com. And I hope if you like it, you will rate us on iTunes or Podbean. And that will hopefully bring new people in who will listen to the CoveyCast, which is all about women reinventing themselves at the best times of their lives and living the life that is most authentic for them. And we'll talk to you soon.